the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm your host, Scott Furrow, and former tunnel digger in Chula Vista. Did you read about that? Another one of these drug tunnels that comes from Mexico into the United States. You know, forget building the wall. You have to build it like 30 feet straight down, right, to block these tunnels. And they find these once in a while, usually by accident. This tunnel goes from Mexico into the United States for six, the length of six football fields. I mean, and it's got, you know, it looks like a regular old uh, mine and it's got, uh, you know, lights and it's got, uh, I don't know if it has a train. One of them had a train one time anyway. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today. Give me a call. If you want to join our conversation, the number is 888-528-2557. 888-LA-TALKS is the number. You can also send me an email during the show if you can't uh, get your phone and you want to comment on what's going on. Southern California, it's SoCal Live, SoCal Live at KKLA.com, SoCal Live at KKLA.com. Other things that we'll talk about today in the stack anyway, if we get to it. Uh, UFO committee met today and uh, talked about UFOs. And uh, that's that's like the real deal. Got some clips from that. We're going to talk about some bad drivers, tunnels under the wall. Uh, a bunch of COVID tests are available for you if you, if you want them. And uh, vaccine updates, uh, one for the kids is approved today. So uh, wondering what you think about that. Why go to church? We'll ask that question. And uh, dealing with ideologies that affect kids and more. And we'll take your calls for any and all of it. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-LA-TALKS. And uh, we're on the air every day here from 3 to 5. So thank you for joining us. And uh, i like to remind you to put that in your calendar to listen every day. And we hope to take these subjects that are in the news that maybe you're listening to all day or maybe you've avoided them and at least give you some hope through it to talk about it, maybe talk about the extra step that we should be taking as we interact with our culture as believers. What are the things that we need to do? And so we'll talk about that. I've got a big cup of coffee in front of me, so I'm ready. I'm absolutely ready. We got to do something about, uh, you know, the the price of rent and uh, houses here in Southern California. I don't know if there's anything we do about it. Maybe inflation. We'll get to that uh, later today. Christy and I uh, went through a place that was like literally cockroach infested, like for real, like they were just running around. And this family was home and they have lizards running around the house to uh, handle the cockroaches. I'm not kidding. Uh, $850,000 they wanted for that house. I thought this house needs to be incinerated. What are you talking about? Uh, that's Southern California. That is uh, something that we are dealing with in our, in our fine state. Um, but we get to look outside and see what a great evening it is. Great afternoon. And I hope that you're having a good one wherever you are. Okay. Um, we have, uh, in this segment, I just want to talk about a few things and, uh, get your thoughts on it. You can give me a call 888-528-2557. We obviously are living in a violent culture. We've seen a lot of violence over the weekend. It's continued the last couple of days. An 11-year-old kid was gunned down in New York today. You know, as I was talking about it yesterday, I feel like, you know, we just never see, you know, a lot, you know, anything significant done. We see a lot of people uh, make statements and things. 
but then nothing really changes. I don't think you're going to solve it with legislation anyway. I don't think that's the problem. I think it's a moral problem. It's a, it's a cultural problem that has to do with our attitudes towards life, our attitudes towards each other and uh, the rights that we have. And see, we used to be a little bit better. We've always had problems, but our country is at its best, I should say, when we're looking out for each other's rights and not just our own. But as soon as we're just looking out for our own, uh, that's where we find ourselves in trouble. And we're finding that a lot more these days. Uh, and the culture is against kids. I guess if there's something that really starts to just burn me, it's when I see more and more against the kids. And I, I guess I maybe you feel the same. I don't know, maybe you feel differently, but I feel like there's some level of responsibility as an adult when you're given you know, some statement from a politician left or right or some kind of philosophy that you're supposed to, to that somebody wants you to follow, that you should be able to examine that, that you should be able to figure out, okay, I'm going to weigh this, I'm going to look for the facts here, and it might be a little bit hard, but you can make your own decision. But the kids are going to be trusting of somebody, and they are going to trust their teachers, they're going to trust their pastors, they're going to trust uh, their parents maybe, but at some point, you know, kids, we don't. And uh, it is... So this is where it really, really starts to, uh, I think we're just seeing more and more of this. And what it is at the end of the day, it's our attitude about life. It starts with the abortion subject, which I know is one that people don't really want to talk about. We talk about it right now because it's in the news. It's a big deal in the news and people are making statements. And I think maybe there is, and I know a lot of people want to talk about it. A lot of you are uh, active in, uh, in, in anti-abortion uh, work. And uh, some of you listening are probably on the other side of it. And we need to have the conversations to bring things to the surface. And whatever ultimately is going to happen with the abortion case, whenever that's released, I think we'll see it in, in any time in the next six weeks. We could see that. Probably not until June. And the Supremes, unless they feel pressure to put it out there sooner, uh, it'll come out sometime in June. And then we'll find out whether they are overturning Roe versus Wade or not. But in California, uh, it doesn't really matter. We're going to have more um, pro-abortion laws, and uh, we're definitely be a pro-abortion state. But the, the attitude behind some things, the, the thoughtlessness, um, the ideology that I think that we see that seems to be driven towards kids, the ideology to, to make sure that we're telling kids things that ultimately turn them against their parents. And people will always say, well, some kids have bad parents. I know, I know they do. And there is a role that a teacher will will play, not the role that they're signed up for necessarily, but where they end up being the parents or a school administrator or a youth pastor or somebody who um, gets this kid in their custody for a few hours a day or once a week, whatever it is, and realizes their parents don't care. And I've seen this in, I've seen it in church. I see it, uh, you know, hopefully not with church families, although I've seen that, um, but you see it in the neighborhood. So, you know, we've had um, youth ministry before, and we had a couple of kids. You know, once in a while, you you find the dope in their in their bags. You know, they bring it to camp, and uh, there it is. And then we had some kids one time. Uh, their parents didn't go to our church, but the kids were part of the youth group, and uh, we love them, and they still have great relationships. The parents never came to church, but they sent their kids. You know, it's a little bit better than other places. I guess their kids would go, but parents both worked. They're very busy. They just weren't home very often, and their kids got into some things as kids do. Uh, not to excuse it, but you know you've been there. Let's just be honest; that happens, and uh, it's part of uh, part of youth ministry. You know, whenever I'm interviewing youth pastor, it's one of my questions. Okay, you find kids, you find drugs on the kids. What do you do? 
you know, do you tell their parents, you know, and because uh, I want to know the answer to that. And uh, it's not if you find it, it's when. So that happens. And, you know, you tell the parents and sometimes the parents, you know, they handle it really well and they deal with the kids with all of that. Sometimes the parents don't. It's just a fact. One time we found uh, a couple of kids got kicked out of a out of a summer camp, right? We had to drive them home in the middle of the week because they brought their drugs with them. We called their parents and their parents were mad at us. They were mad that they weren't allowed to do the drugs at the camp for crying out. It's a famous church camp, okay, that they were at. I don't want to mention the name of it, um, but it's located near Hume Lake up in Northern California. And, uh, you know, you go, didn't you know that you shouldn't be bringing your uh, your joints to uh, your marijuana to camp? Wasn't that? I think that's on the list somewhere. And in this case, the parents didn't care. And they were upset with us for even making an issue of it. Now, the impression we ultimately made, the reason that we still have good relationships with the kids is because for the kids who got no trouble at home, they had to deal with the embarrassment of getting kicked out of camp. Um they actually got love from church people and their friends. And I think we helped them, I think, ultimately not go down the right path. That's what church ought to be doing. You know, sometimes, I guess the point I'm making is sometimes as the church, we find ourselves, and I know this is true if you're a teacher, that you find yourselves in the role of parent, even though that's not really what you you signed up for. A good friend of mine went from uh, teaching in a school where Kids were very troubled. He said his whole job was to be parent. And then he went to one of these online uh, schools, right? He says, the difference is in one school, I have to be a parent. With the online one, I can be an educator because if you're messing around, I can just turn you off and uh, you can go back to the other school. But in the classroom where I was, that was his experiences. He basically saw himself as a parent. He didn't have a chance to educate. I know this is a problem in our schools and it's a problem that is not just the public school problem. It's a parent problem. Uh, it is a family unit problem, all right? It is a problem that is a a cultural problem that we have where we are not supporting the idea of family. And there are many, many levels of it. And I think we've known this for a long time. Something that the church should be doing well at, and the church is struggling, is family. It used to be, our marriages used to be an apologetic for the church. You know that people used to say, oh, those marriages in church, they're better. They're not perfect. And there's some people who struggle and you find some divorce and you find some abuse and those things happen. Um, but generally speaking, the marriages are better. They're still better. It's not as bad as that statistic you hear, you know, half of Christian marriages fail. Nah, it's not. It's about a quarter. Um, but uh, it's way too much. And this, I think, has to do with an attitude and an ideology that is out there. And I think what feeds it is something we don't necessarily feel. And I realize this, this is a little bit abstract, all right, kind of like that guy who sells sells the paintings that aren't really there. You just think about it. Very, very abstract paintings and uh, sculptures. <clears throat> but I think that we need to think about what we are doing as a church and our testimony where more and more is going against the family. And as we hear the arguments about abortion, when we hear the arguments about why we want to teach sexual things to young kids, that there is an ideology out there that in my view, is devaluing life. It's dehumanizing. I don't know if you think of it this way, but but when sexual things are outside of the, the biblical idea, what tends to happen is you dehumanize people, okay? 
Uh, to give you a simple example of that, it's like this. Okay, so you, a group of guys are watching, and, and a young woman walks by, and she's attractive, and they say this. They say, oh, look at that. Look at that. You ever say that? What are they talking about when they say that? They don't say, look at her. It's look at that. You see, that's the beginning of the dehumanizing that just happens in that example, where she is not her, she's a that. And this is at the core of what pornography is. It is dehumanizing. It is a experience not just for the people who are the performers, but for the viewer, all right? It damages the viewer, and it damages the viewer's mind. We know this scientifically, that it actually changes your brain, and you start to think of human beings differently, all right? The same thing happens with arguments about abortion. It's not really a person, even though you know that it is. Well, it doesn't, you know, start to make arguments about potential, arguments about other things, and then suddenly we're talking about kids, and uh, the kids are being damaged by their parents if their parents are teaching them morals, and we really start to see a lot of problems. This is something that we have to find a way to articulate and a way to get into our our conversation as a culture because we're going to have this. We're having the, the conversation about the gender issues. We're having the conversation about abortion. And we're seeing it in corporate level. We're seeing it in the politics. And frankly, a lot of it, both on the left and right, is not too well. We're seeing different conversations about immigrants. And we're seeing the, you know, is there a lot of, of is the way we speak about immigrants on the left or the right, is it dehumanizing sometimes? Do people become just a statistic? Do do the needs of people on one side of the border or other just become not important as long as it fits my political agenda for something else? I think there's a language that we don't even think about that we use with a lot of these things that causes some trouble. I'll give you some example uh, right here of, a, of an exchange that happened in the Senate uh, with Treasury Secretary um, our Treasury Secretary and Senator Tim Scott about abortion that happened this week. You're listening to Southern California Live. Uh, the number is 888-528-2557. If you'd like to join this conversation, 888-528-2557. Janet Yellen uh, was talking about inflation and talking about the number of people in the workforce. And uh, this is what she said as she was being uh, questioned by Senator Tim Scott. Go ahead and play clip one. Roe v. Wade in access to reproductive health care, including abortion, helped lead to increased labor force participation. I was raised by a single mom who worked long hours to keep us out of poverty. I think framing it in the context of labor force participation is, it just feels calloused to me. There, there is a spillover into labor force participation. Yeah. In many cases, um, abortions are of teenage women, um, particularly low-income and often black, who um, aren't in a position to be able to care for children. I'll just simply say that as a guy raised by a black woman in abject poverty, I'm thankful to be here as a United States senator. See, it is uh, an interesting part of the ideology that says we need abortions because it's going to help people stay in the workforce. So what, what Janet Yellen is trying to say is that there's been a rationalization of abortion, particularly for, in her mind, poor women and especially for poor black women is what she's saying, which is uh, extra offensive on a whole lot of other levels. But to say that now these women can keep their jobs. 
The the irony, though, is that while well, you're aborting people who would be in the workforce, we've aborted 60 million babies, they would be in the w- workforce today. Millions and millions and millions would be African-American who would be in the workforce today. So the whole notion that we need abortions in order to help people keep their jobs and help keep the workforce up is is absurd. And this is where uh, this conversation goes. This is Tim Scott talking about it. This is go to clip two. I could not believe my ears. She was responding to a question, so it was completely unprepared, unfiltered. And her response was to, in my opinion, provide a callous approach and a solution, a remedy for blacks living in poverty being abortion. And as a guy who was raised by a powerful, positive black woman in poverty, in a single parent household, I know that sometimes broken places is where you find brilliance. I know that sometimes hard work and dedication and perseverance pays off handsomely. You and I both know that the truth of the story is the American journey continues to evolve in the right direction. And frankly, even Secretary Yellen's words should have been thought through much better because less than 10% of the abortions are teenagers. And so to put the face of, of abortion being poor women making a choice so they can increase the labor force participation rate, well, it's just unbelievable. So you can see his response. It's very personal. If you know Senator Scott, uh, he's got a great story and he tells it. If you ever get a chance to meet him in person, he's the same guy sitting across from you just having a conversation as you just heard. Uh, on the on this interview here, uh, it is an extraordinary thing to discuss abortion, the a potential, whatever you want to say about it, but a human life in terms of the workforce and destroying the human life, or even destroying the potential human life, if that's what you're going to say, that somehow that helps the workforce. We have rationalized this in such a way that we're not even talking about humanity anymore. It's just a statistic as part of the economy. And see what I mean? This kind of thing, when we're just looking at the shootings and we're looking at the violence and we're looking, this is just one example of how our attitude about human beings who are made in the image of God and the disposability of human beings, whether it's because they're uh, aborted, or maybe the disposability where we say they're poor, but and because they're poor, they have no way of of getting out of the troubles that they're in. We we diminish people based on ideologies to try to support some ideology of right and left, and it's wrong. It is part of the the powers. I think it is it is a mindset that is deceptive, and all of us are susceptible to it. All right. Any of us might have things that we have have come to believe about something because that's all we've heard and we've never really examined it. We've never really thought of it. And in talking about this subject, I know this subject is hard for a lot of you. I know that many, many of you, 25%, maybe more of you have had abortions in your your life. And, uh, you know, we're going to get to uh, the end here where we talk about grace. And I want you to know that the Lord understands the the burden that you carry and the Lord understands everything that you went through in that period of time and that there's there's grace and that a lot of you maybe made decisions like that because you were misinformed, because people told you it was okay or because there was a, a dehumanizing aspect in the philosophy. The dehumanization of abortion is we're just a clump of cells, 
right? They used to say, and they still say, which is, it is incredible that we say that Nancy Pelosi actually said that the science hasn't changed on abortion in 50 years. That is not at all true. The science has completely changed. We have DNA. Now that we can measure, we couldn't do that 50 years ago. We've got uh, the sonogram machine that shows the full form of the baby. We couldn't do that. We used to be, used to be an ultrasound and there'd be kind of these little black and white dots and it's sort of an outline of a baby. And yeah, kind of, but it also kind of looks like a clump of cells. But today we know that's not true. Today, not only can we see the baby in there, but we, we can test their DNA. You can have surgeries. There are surgeries done on unborn children to solve problems before they're even born. I mean, that's, it's insane to say that the science hasn't changed in 50 years. It's radically changed. And that is a lot of the reason why people's attitude, I think, is changing, is that the evidence is there to say, no, nah, this isn't what we were saying. But to get back to what I'm saying, and we'll continue this a little bit after the break, what I want us to think about is do our comments about abortion as we're talking about it, but also about issues at the border, the comments we might have about race, the comments that we might say about the the violence that's going on and so much of it that we've seen coming from lots of different angles, pornography, whatever it is you want to say, are we dehumanizing ourselves and the people that we're talking about? I think that we are, and I think this is the core of an entirety of the problem in our culture. When we dehumanize each other, one way or the other, life begins to matter less, and then some people's lives are going to matter more than other people's lives. I mean, isn't that the core of racism anyway? For example, uh, the, the value of somebody's life is better or worse than somebody else's life because of their skin color, or the value of somebody's political belief, that person has because they subscribe to the right thing, they have more value, or because they're not really born yet, they have more value. There's so many things here, and it's wrong. And I think our thinking, we have to be very, very careful because there's a lot of things that maybe we're saying, maybe I'm saying, that is that is missing the human mark that we need to have. And it matters because as human beings, we're made in the image of God, and that means something tremendous about the value of each one of us the value of God's love for each one of us, even the greatest sinner among us, even those of us who have had abortions, those of us who have been violent. Some of you listening, you've, you've murdered people. Some of you have done your time. Some of you have not been caught, but you know that God knows. And you need to deal with that because of God. But you, the reason you deal with it is God loves you and he knows about it, and he wants to restore you, as hard as that might seem. i got to take a break. You can join this conversation by calling us at 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. Your Tuesday edition will be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, Scott Furrow with you today. Thank you for joining me on this fine Tuesday, May 17th. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. We've been talking about the idea of dehumanization and how it's at the core of a lot of the things that we talk about that are in the news right now. Of course, the violence that we've had over the weekend, but also racism, also pornography, also border issues. I mean, there, there are so many things that we have become accustomed to to tearing people down, the the gender issues, other things where we 
don't see people as who they really are. They don't, it's a, it's a value discussion and it affects things. I think it adds to the violence. I think it's a big reason that we're seeing some of the worst violence. And I think that until we address that, there's no legislation, there are no laws, which would be legislation. There is uh, not much that's going to change. I think it's going to get worse until we admit that human beings are something special and that there is a better approach. 888-528-2557. Mark in El Segundo, welcome to Southern California Live. How you doing, Mark? Oh, hi, Pastor Scott. How you doing? I'm doing great. So what, you, what are your thoughts about this? Thank you. Um, well, I have an interesting story for you real quick. Uh, you might have heard it. It's a story of uh, two missionaries, husband and wife. They were in the Philippines, and uh, the, the wife was pregnant, and she contracted some type of a virus or disease. And the physicians and doctors there told her to not to have the child because if she has the baby, there's a huge chance that the baby will die, and so will she. Well, she told the doctors, look, I'm just going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to have the child. Well, she had the child. The child was normal. Everything worked out well, and she was fine. And the child grew up to be Tim Tebow. And uh, if now sh- share if, with us uh, who that is for our, for our audience. Oh, Tim Tebow's a. Oh, Tim Tebow. Young, Tim Tebow. Yeah, very. Yeah. Okay. Very gotcha. Football <laughs> I thought player. you. I thought you said somebody else. I'm like, I don't know who that is. No, I know who Tim Tebow <laughs> is. He's the he's yeah, the football um, player. All right. Oh yeah, uh, for the Florida Gators. Then he played for professional football for the Denver Broncos and yeah. did all sorts of fantastic stuff. And he has ministries now. And and we would have missed out on all that. Can you, if you know, if, if he would have been, if she would have, you know, agreed with the doctors. So well, I, you know, you I, never know what's going to happen. Just like uh, you know, uh, the senator said, you know, he 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 was raised by a single mom and he's a he's a huge success and she worked really really hard thank you very much for your call mark that is a, a a good call see it's it's the value judgment that's placed even before somebody's born or even when we do it with people that you don't really know and you know that's the the core to racism uh is it's devaluing the humanity of somebody else it's the same thing with lots of different things we struggle with. When it comes to stories like this, we don't know what people are, are capable of. The, the interesting thing is that we seem to have this philosophy, you know, what Janet Yellen was saying in the committee hearing yesterday with Tim Scott, is that abortions are necessary for poorer women, especially poorer black women, because they won't be able to keep a job, they won't be able to do it, is basically what she's saying, which to me, uh, seems like a pretty racist thing you know, to say that. Tim Scott wrote about it in the Washington Post uh, today. He wrote an, an article about it because it shook a whole lot of people. And he talked about his own mom and how hard his mom had to work. He's got a great testimony, by the way. He loves Jesus. Uh, Tim Scott, a few years ago anyway, I got a chance to meet him, and he talked about how he's having Bible studies in the United States Senate, and he invites people to go. He invites uh, one of the people who also leads it with him is Senator Cory Booker. Okay, Tim Scott's a Democrat. Cory Booker's a Demo- uh, or Tim Scott's a Republican, and Cory Booker is a Democrat. And they have led. They don't agree on a whole lot of stuff, even on this issue. They don't agree, but they're working very hard to try to find a way. And Tim Scott was talking about 
how just having a Bible study helps keep things in uh, perspective for the human beings that people are trying to help. You know, what happens when you go to Congress and especially when you go to the Senate? You know, in the Senate, you get six years, so you get elected. You still got to get reelected, but you're there for six years. That's a long time. And so you, you've got a little time, but you can become very disconnected very fast and very full of yourself very fast. People in the House sometimes refer to the senators as uh, sitting up there on Mount Olympus, and that's kind of how you feel uh, for some of the senators out there. Anyway, he wrote this in the, uh, in the Washington Post responding to Janet Yellen, who said, I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would have very damaging effects on the economy. And she goes on to say, as you heard in the last segment, particularly low-income and often black mothers who would have lack of access to abortion deprives them of the ability often to continue their education to later participate in the workforce. And he says he thought he misheard her. He thought she can't be saying that. But that is what she was saying. And, you know, he says this in his article. He says, if abortion is our first and best answer, to ensure that women in low-income families can thrive economically, the United States has reached one of its darkest times in our history. He says this claim is simply false and echoes the egregious arguments made in the early 20th century by Margaret Sanger in support of the eugenics movement. Okay, That was a movement to eliminate people who she thinks are less than, which included African-Americans, but also included people with birth defects, and which is very often the movement for abortion. And Mark, our caller, just a second ago, we talked about the Tim Tebow story and how his mom said, was told by doctors that he wouldn't amount to anything. You know, I was having a conversation this morning. Um, the person who is, uh, there's, a, there's a person at church who is having some health problems and she's pregnant and uh, older. And we were talking about just kind of being older when uh, uh, you have babies. And uh, I wouldn't say that, Christy and I were older uh, when we, you know, I don't know what older means, you know, these days, but uh, to, to put it in perspective, when we had our firstborn who just turned 13 yesterday against my will, uh, we went through kind of a normal, you know, I guess normal pregnancy and all of that. But when we had our secondborn, we went through a whole lot of other tests. There were all kinds of tests that we had for John. And finally, I asked the, the OBGYN, I said, uh, are we doing this because there's something wrong or because we're old? Because we didn't do this last time. She says, oh, it's because you're old. <laughs> okay. So they do all these other tests, but they come back with this test that says, okay, here's the odds if you're older and you're having a baby of having Down syndrome and uh, you, I don't know, there's some tests you take and, and your child has a higher significant chance of it and you should consider terminating the, president, uh, the, the pregnancy. And it was if it doesn't matter that I'm looking at my kid's heartbeat right there on the screen. The Christie is feeling uh, this baby and seeing the heartbeat. It's a value judgment that says, hey, this child has a chance that maybe they might have Down syndrome and you can't have that. See, it lowers the, the value of a human being. God did something for me in all of that too, by the way, because another, you know, one of the ways you get past biases or even racism sometimes or even just misunderstandings about other people is you get to know them. You know, if you, you, if you are struggling with these issues, you got to get to know people who are different than you. Go to, and not just, hi, hello, how you doing at church? I'm so glad that our church is multi-ethnic. It's, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's go to coffee. Would you come over to my house and let's sit across from the table? And, you know, 
you get to a place where you can have the conversation when things go on in the culture. How do you feel about it? You know, what's the burden that you carry uh, with you because of the shooting in a black community in Buffalo or the murder at a Taiwanese congregation in Laguna Hill? You know, it changes the conversation when you're talking to people who relate in a very specific way that maybe you don't. And it really helps. So for me, what this did for kids with, with Down syndrome, you know, I didn't have like problems with kids with Down syndrome, but I didn't understand it. And during this time, I was convinced that God, we we're going to have a Down's baby. I just became away convinced that we saw the sonogram or the, not the sonogram, the ultrasound. And uh, they're saying, see, here's the shape of the head and this and that. And I'm going, yeah, I kind of agree. And um, we think you should terminate. I'm like, well, no, we're not going to do that. Well, don't you want to? No, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. So I became convinced, and then God put in my life a bunch of kids and adults, actually, with Down syndrome, a missionary family that we were supporting. Their child had, was Downs, and I sat with him at a restaurant for two hours, just kind of happened to be where I got seated with a bunch of people, and we had the greatest time. And then our church got involved with a ministry for Down syndrome, and then I got involved with another group of people that puts ministries in churches for kids with developmental problems. And I was so amazed, brought to tears at the artistry of some of these uh, adults, really, mostly I was working with. And I realized, you know, God's just done an amazing thing. And then John was born and he didn't have Downs, but I thanked God for for the the experience I had at breaking down my heart and barriers simply because uh, the relationships that I was able to build. See, we all can have moments where we dehumanize people. And there's something to all of this. And Tim Scott is addressing that when it comes to abortions, uh, and in particular in the black community. And he has a very positive response, though, which I think is something else that impresses me about him or other people who can make the point. But what he's not doing is bashing Janet Yellen. He's saying that she's wrong and that it was shocking how wrong she is. But he comes to a very positive conclusion. When we get back, I'm going to play what he has to say that I think is very positive. And what he writes about in the Washington Post is also very positive. And I think it's a great response, especially in this world where so much is negative and everybody you disagree with or every time somebody says something stupid, that instead of trying to love them in such a way that they would would grow, that they would come out of whatever difficulty they're they're having – or misunderstanding, whatever kind of dehumanizing thought that they had that they didn't know was dehumanizing, that's just something they grew up with or something they were taught or something that just an ignorance they felt. There is a approach that I think is Christ-like that brings hope to the situation in that person that that person can actually change and even be an advocate uh, for what is true about human beings everywhere. We'll get to that when we come back. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back in just a moment. Do not go away. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, Tuesday Good to be with you this Tuesday afternoon. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. And we're having a conversation about dehumanization and how it kind of fits into a lot of the issues that we're dealing with, including violence, including uh, the shootings and stuff that we've had. It's at the core of it. And you will find that subject to be relevant 
when it comes to just about any of the areas that we are struggling with as a society. Uh, abortion, we're talking about that because of a conversation between Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen and Senator Tim Scott that happened in a hearing yesterday. Um, but also the same subject can be a big part of homelessness, a big part of issues on whatever side of the border issues you're on, the issues of gender, whatever you think about that. Even there's, there is a dehumanization that occurs that leads us to a place where we have, we make value judgments about people who disagree with us or people who happen to be in a different place or even just different. And what is a positive response? So Tim Scott, Senator Scott was very offended and he should have been by Janet Yellen's response, but he's not taking to Twitter uh, to tell everybody that she's some tour, you know, horrific person. He instead took to the airwaves to give an interview to share what, why he responded the way he did as an African-American. And her claim was uh, that, younger, that abortion, particularly for people who are poor and in particular for African-American women, is a good solution for their economic distress because uh, if you have the abortion, then it's more likely you will finish college and more likely that you will get a job. And uh, and what she's arguing as the Treasury Secretary is that this will help our economy in the long run. So she's kind of just separated the whole emotion, the whole humanity from it. And we're really talking about statistics. And she placed such a huge burden, according to Tim Scott, on uh, black communities with this uh, to use abortion as their best answer to thrive economically. And it's completely wrong. And this is some things he writes in the Washington Post. He says, there's a better way. The American dream is one of hope and opportunity. I know this because I've lived it. And his story is great. In America, the son of a black single mother can go, who can go from poverty to the United States Senate in one lifetime. Uh, that's true. And then he starts to offer solutions to other economic challenges that are around. All right. Uh, doubling the standard deduction for single parents a few years ago. Uh cut single moms' federal taxes by 70%. Really helped you if you're a single mom. Opportunity zones are a big deal. They work. Child care and development block grant programs, they work to help people in the poorest communities. And there are a lot of things, and he challenges people. He says, hey, let's have conversations. He says, I welcome conversations because I believe that America is the solution, not the problem. When it comes to our economic challenges, abortion is not the answer, and I will debate anyone, anywhere, at any time, he says, about solutions that actually work. And when he was being interviewed on television about his response, uh, this is how he concluded the interview. Go ahead and play clip three. And unfortunately, it seems like whenever someone needs a poster child of brokenness, mm. they go to African-Americans, and that's not our story. Our story is a story of victory. Our story is a story of overcoming odds. Our story is, frankly, triumphing after tragic circumstances. That's the story of who we are. And it's a story that should be told and should be told as a part of the American story that we as Americans, we are the solution. We shouldn't have fewer Americans. We should have more Americans. You want to increase our labor force participation rate? Choose life. It's a powerful statement. It's positive. It's forward thinking. It's not saying, hey, these people are, are terrible people. It's saying this is the wrong idea. You need to challenge that. But it's very positive. And he points out a truth that many of us have experienced in our own lives. It's, he said earlier, broken places is where you find, where you often find brilliance. And the whole notion that because you might have challenges because you might be poor, because you're suffering from 
uh, whatever it is, you know, the idea that you should give up or that everything is bad, he's not going to go there. He's going to say, no, we have an opportunity to choose life to do better. And I think that's a great attitude for us. We need more of that from our leaders. We need leaders who aren't just going to default to ideologies of dehumanization, which is what so many things, what's at the core of so many of our problems. Instead, we need to be people who realize that people can be better. People can be redeemed. People don't have to stay with the same philosophies or ideas. They can be redeemed. That's who we are as Christians. Uh, Jesus doesn't just leave us where we are just because we, we've we sinned, thankfully. He doesn't. Let me go to the phones here. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. 888-528-2557. Mary from Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Mary, you still with us? Yes. Hi, Mary. Can you speak up into the phone? Yes, I'm trying to. Go ahead, Mary. I I had several abortions when I was younger. Mm. And uh, not for medical reasons. Yeah. I know God's forgiven me, but I don't, I can't seem to forgive myself. Yeah. I just. How, how do I do that? Mary, do you uh, you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Is that where you what yes. you believe? Yes. Do you believe that he rose again from the grave? Yes. You know? Yes. You, yeah. And I understand the, what you're going through, that you, you believe that God's forgiven you, right? Yes. Okay. Well, that's your your first step. And the next thing is to say, to realize that you're going to have everlasting life. And maybe, you know, you, you talk about having several and there's a lot more to your story, you know, obviously. But the way you forgive yourself is you have to not dehumanize yourself. That all of us fall short of the glory of God. And there are people out there who have had no abortions, uh, but they've done a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, and I think maybe you have a story to tell, just sharing it here, you know, that you're struggling with that because I know that a lot of our listeners are struggling with that. I struggle with the idea that this is going to be a topic between now and the election in November that's probably going to be a major topic in our country. And churches, a lot of the time, are going to take very strong statements and not not considering that there are people sitting in the pews just like you who are saying, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I feel very attacked or I feel like no one's hearing me. Mary, I want you to know that, that you can forgive yourself because Jesus has and that you are his child and he loves you and he died for you. You know what? An interesting thing that Jesus says from the cross, he says to people from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And what he meant was, they didn't realize that they were, you know, killing the Son of God, which was the path to redemption for the world, right? They didn't understand that point. But what he didn't mean is that they didn't think what they were doing was wrong. They, they knew it was wrong. In Matthew chapter 27, it's when Pontius Pilate, you know, the story where Pontius Pilate washes his hands and he says, Jesus is innocent, and he says, I wash my hands of this. You know that story? Yes. Yeah. I do. When he says that to the people and he tells them, I am innocent of this man's blood, 
it's your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. See, they, they knew that what they were doing was sin. And so when Jesus says, you know, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, what he meant was they didn't understand the profound impact of what they're doing, what, what that would mean, and that it would be used for good. And this is something that we find for, for the Lord. Mary, what I would do is ask God to use your past for good. That'll help you forgive yourself. I think right now that your phone call, there are women listening right now who think exactly what you think, and it's helping them that they know they're not alone. You know what I mean? And a yes, way to forgive. I yeah, and I go would on. say don't. Go ahead. No, go on. I I would say this. Uh, do you mind asking if I ask you how old you are, Mary? I'm seventy-one. All right, seventy-one. There are a lot of women your age, some who are older, uh, and then a whole bunch who are younger. Who, if you feel like you're strong enough to do it. If you feel like it, you know, you might share that story. You don't have to get in front of everybody at church and do it somewhere, but there I'm, might, I'm, I'm, I can't get out. I'm inbound. You're homebound. I, I, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know what I would say is just being here and sharing your story. Maybe that's something that, uh, you know, this topic will come up again that you can even share with us. You know, a good way to forgive ourselves is to realize that God can use the bad things we've done to turn it into good. The mistakes we've made, the sins we've done, and that's part of redemption. That that's that's what it means that you're redeemed, that you you're made back as whole, even though you've had uh, that part of your life, and eventually you'll be with Him forever in perfection. Oh gosh, that'll be nice. It will be nice. So, Mary, i got to go here in just a minute uh, because the commercial comes on. I have to do that. But can I pray for you? Yes. God, I thank you for Mary. I thank you that she called today, and I thank you that you've forgiven her. And I know that her testimony today is impacting many, many, many people, and I pray that not only would everybody listening know that God forgives, but that you can forgive yourself and that whatever wrong we've done, in this case her, her many abortions, that you can use that to help other people in this fallen world where we have so many so much difficulty. I pray that you give Mary the ability to forgive herself, that you give her joy today. I pray that you would give her peace in knowing that she helped people today through this phone call, and that you're using her this way, and that you love her, and that you've made her whole. God, I pray that you give her that confidence right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you Mar- pray for my family? Yeah, Mary, I've got to go in like 10 seconds. So God, we pray for Mary and her family and all the things that Mary means by that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank Mary, I have to go. It's a hard break. No, you're listening, you're listening, you. you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. We'll be back in just a few moments. Stay tuned. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.